0: Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible.
1: Literally, in time, space, and matter, the measurable day of time and the unit of time in his universe. Then in the Gospel of John... That same concept is brought forth to moral, where Jesus is the light, and he's the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, but men didn't comprehend it. And so coming forth in the New Testament, we're taught that there's a moral darkness and there's a moral light, and Jesus is the moral light. Jesus is the light of the world, and he says, we're the light of the world. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and then he tells us, his disciples, we're the light of the world. Since he's the light of the world and we're the light of the world, then what we need to do is reflect his light like the moon and the sun. We're not manufacturing the light. We're abiding in the light, and we're reflecting the light. We really are like the moon. The light we're shining in the world is not a light that we're manufacturing. It's a light that we're reflecting that we've been with Jesus. Or as it says in 2 Corinthians, seeing him in a mirror being transformed from glory to glory, and we're in his presence being transformed. We bring that to our world as we go out and about, and we're the light of the world. Recently, when Jennifer and I drove back from Florida a couple months ago. We had been in San Antonio, and we we're going into West Texas. Now, if you know anything about Texas on the 10, once you get about 50 miles west of San Antonio, there's a whole lot of nothing all the way to El Paso. It's about 400 miles of like capital uppercase N nothing. And you go like maybe 60 miles, there might be a small town stuff, but there's a lot of darkness. And I remember we drove at night that night. It was really the only night we drove at night and you, you as you get away from society, so, society and a lot of people, there's a couple of trucks out there, but there's some stretches at night where you're like, it's just dark, like Texas dark. Now, Pastor Chuck used to talk about in Orange County, the, the light pollution, that you can't really see the heavens, declare declares glory. <laughs> when you pull over in the dark in West Texas, you can see the glory, because it is dark, dark, dark. And you can see that, Small town of 2,000 people that you have your hotel reservation at, you know, for Fairfield Inn, you know your map, your phone says it's like 10 miles ahead, but you, you can see it way out there because it's so dark you can't miss the city that's lit up because it's the only city that's lit up. Ozona, Ozona, Texas. I mean, it's, it's, everything's dark out there. It's like a black canvas and that has to be, that has to be Ozona, Texas. It's the city on a hill. You can see the light. In a dark world, we're like Ozona, Texas. We're the city on a hill. People need to be able to see that light from a distance. They need to be drawn to the light. The light lights the way. In darkness, the light lights the way. One thing I don't like about camping is you're in the dark. And if you've got to go up in the middle of the night, you've got to get a flashlight. and I, I, you know, You need the flashlight to show you the way. I like light. I like to see where I'm going. But the world's in darkness. Jesus is the light. We're the light of the world. We reflect the light, and we bring that moral light and that moral direction, and we, we do the right things, and we show people the light. Or as people say, I've seen the light. The famous movie that won the Academy Award in 1941, Sergeant York, the true story of that World War I hero, Sergeant York, Alvin York. It's a classic. I was at, the, I was at Robert Heflin's house. It was on your TV. I was like, "Hey, yeah, it's Sergeant York. One of my favorite movies. But uh, Alvin York gets hit with lightning. It's a true story. He was a rebel, and they got hit with lightning. It's in Tennessee. And there's a scene in the movie where they're like, what happened to the town rebel rousing Alvin York? They said, oh, Alvin York done seen the light. Oh, Alvin York done seen the light. Right? We've seen the light. Jesus is the light, and the way people see the light is we reflect the light. And we're a light showing the way in darkness. We're a city on a hill shining for the Lord. And they see the light by our actions and reactions of the character that Christ has produced in our life and how we proactively act and how we reactively act to various circumstances in the human experience. Now, obviously, it's not perfect. As my sister says, progress, not perfection. If you were here last Saturday, you might have caught that. I actually prayed that. And my wife almost had a laughing fit with my daughter, Hannah. Like, if you know my wife, when she gets silly, she's tired, she, she almost gets in a laughing fit. And she almost got in a laughing fit because, of course, she knows my sister very well. But, I mean, she's like, my husband is quoting Barbie in rehab quotes while he's praying at the end of service, you know. But my sister, you know, she's like, she gets overwhelmed and stuff, right? You know, and she's like, but she's like, Joey, progress, not perfection, Yes, that's right. Uh, That's biblically based, right? We're being transformed from glory to glory. Not that I've attained, as Paul said, but I press on to the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. That's progress, not perfection. Just another way of saying it. And we're not a perfect light. But we are the light. Our light might be dim at times because we're going through a difficult season. Maybe have heartache. We've made some bad decisions and... We're beating ourselves up like David in a psalm or something. But we're still the light. Dim light, bright light. We're, we're still the light. We're never unplugged. We're not meant to be unplugged. We're meant to reflect that light. Progress, not perfection. And, and people are in darkness, and they need to see the light. They need to see the light of Christ in our life. They need to see Jesus in our eyes. We're going to see shortly that the eyes are the lamp of the soul, and they, we reflect Our eyes reflect our heart, and people need to see Jesus and the light coming from our eyes. When we look upon people, they need to see Jesus looking upon the multitude with compassion and empathy. They can't see us looking upon putrefying meat. They need to see us looking upon them with the light of Jesus Christ. We have to shine in darkness, but not be repulsed by darkness. For we're in the world, but not of the world. So we need to shine. And like Jesus said, some people don't come to the light. They hate the light. They say, turn off the light, right? Turn off the light. But Jesus never tells us to turn off the light. Now, Jesus was the light, is the light. He walked away when people wanted darkness. When the Pharisees sought to kill him, it says he turned and went to another place. Sometimes your light's not welcome, but it doesn't mean you put your light out. It just means you shine it in a different direction. You just redirect your light. We're not into putting our light out or putting it under a basket. It's just, okay, men love darkness. They don't come to light. That's what Jesus said. But still, I mean, we're the light of the world. So we've got to let our light shine. And we let our light shine. And in so doing, we're reflecting Jesus that people would glorify our Father in heaven. That's the objective of our light shining. That when people see our good works, so let your light, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Ultimately, our light shines for Jesus and glorifies the Father. People see the heart of the Father when they see us shining for Jesus. When we have I will say a higher moral standard and a higher character, not as an offense to put people down for less of a moral standard or less of a character, but if our standard in morals are based upon the Word of God and Jesus Christ, and theirs are based upon philosophies of men or faulty world systems, ours is a higher standard. And it is a better standard because it's God's standard and it never changes. We can always know what is morally right to do by abiding in Christ and obeying his word. Like I say so often, it's not the deep, mysterious, mysterious things of God that ever have given me difficulty. It's the simple things of God. Forgive that person. Let that go. Reconcile before you get to the judge, lest he throw you in jail too. Don't hate that person. Don't lie. Don't lust. These are the things that keep me busy every day. I enjoy reading the book of Job, but I don't spend a lot of time meditating on the questions they all ask philosophically about the Lord between chapters 5 and 38. I'd much rather meditate on Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments. Thank you. Doing the right thing. Martin Luther King Jr. said, it's always the right time to do the right thing. And I know in my own life, it is always the right time to do the right thing. It's always the right time to tell the truth. It's always the right time to make things right. We have today. It's always the right time to call someone and say you're sorry when you're aware that you offended them and you can make it right. It's always the right time to say thank you to someone that you never thanked when you should have thanked and you suddenly realize you want to thank them. It's always the right time to do the right thing. To let go of things God's saying let go of to embrace things God's saying to do. See, when we do the right thing and we do good, our light shines before men and women. And it and the good works we do glorifies the Father in heaven. It's not that hard. When I was in Florida, I had this wonderful day. And... Luke's street is somewhat narrow, and there's never any traffic. I've been in that front yard. I've not seen a car go by on that residential street for four hours at a time. And it's the cutest neighborhood ever. It's, you can't even explain it. It's so beautiful. It's so cute. But after this long day of stand-up paddle boarding and golfing and doing all these things that were so fun, and I backed up, and I, I hit a car that was parked. Not that, you know, I was going slow. Just like you, most of us all backed in or bumped into something, you know, bumper cars. And you hear that, I was like, oh. And it's, it's dark, but the right thing, you're going to go knock on the door and say, hey, I'm really sorry about that. And that's what I did. It was just the right thing to do. Like, I don't, I don't get a brownie badge or something. It's like, that's what you're supposed to do. Like, if you hit my car, I'd like you to say, Joey, we hit your car and we exchange insurance information and we do the right thing. We do the right thing. And I knocked on the door, and it turned out for good because we finally got to meet the neighbor across the street and talk with him. And it was the son's girlfriend. And, and uh, she's like, What? Weren't you even looking? Like, you know, it's kind of hard to be belittled by a young millennial, but I had it coming. So I was like, She's like, You didn't even look? I was like, Actually, I, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't look. You know, <laughs> I didn't look. Um, and, um, and they called her parents, and they came, and they were really upset. Um, and they were speaking a different language, and she was speaking with them. And uh, evidently, someone had hit them previously and done major damage to another car. This is a brand new Mercedes, by the way. <laughs> Not a brand new Mercedes. It's like, oh Lord, why can't I hit a junker? You know, it's got to be a brand new Mercedes. And uh, they were really upset, and they wanted to call the police and everything. And I'm like, are you serious? And Luke's like, Dad, shut up. I got this. I I like, call the police. And, you know, and, and, you know Luke, Luke's just like the way he is. He's such a peacemaker. And I, I was just like, we don't need to call the police. You know, like, we get in an accident, like, 405, you pull over. This is my insurance. That's your insurance. But they were really upset because this has happened to them. And then the daughter said something to her parents, obviously, that calmed them down. And it was the strangest thing. They stopped, and they told me, thank you. Thank you for telling us you did this. It was just the right thing. Like they went from upset, so we're all like, they were all like chit-chatting about what college they're all going to and this and that. But like the right thing is always the right thing. Maybe someday they'll know that the guy that hit the car is the, the, the guy across the street's father, and he's a pastor, and I just did the right thing. Just the right thing to do. Barbie's like, oh, I know people that would drive away. I'm like, me too. But that's just not the right thing to do because you still in reap anyways. You know what, I want someone to smash my car too? Like it all goes around, and comes around, right? Like the surfers say, juju, whatever. Like it's going to come around. I like, just, just knock on the door and, and, and she was parked way off the curb. So it was easier to hit her, but that wasn't the issue. I told her it's always the moving car's fault. It's hundred percent my fault. I feel terrible. I'm really sorry. And I have to pay for it, but that's the right thing. It's never about the money. Is it? It's never about the money. It's about the heart. It's about doing the right thing. So I'm not saying this like I'm some superhero because I'm didn't look in the rearview mirror. See, you know, I, my wife Jennifer's always like, L- oh, look, look back, careful backing up. You know how the wives are with the guys and everything. And I'm like, I haven't been in an accident for 20 years. I can't say that anymore. <laughs> I lost all my equity to say that. It's like, honey, I'm in an accident for 20 years. It's like, it's like oh gosh, you <laughs> know, I've lost all equity to say that. I can't say it anymore. <laughs> that's what really hurts more than 250 bucks on the deductible. It's like, I can't tell my wife, relax, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> but you still got to do the right thing. Let your light shine before men. I'm really glad those people were gracious. And I don't, you know, like Jesus said, when you do what you're supposed to do, you should just see. I did what I'm supposed to do as a worthless servant. You know, and that's basically all I did. I didn't do anything great. I just did what's the right thing to do. We do the right thing. And... It's never about the money. Do the right thing. Make it right. Treat people. Love your neighbors. You love yourself, right? We spent six months in Deuteronomy. We've been learning this anyways, which brings us to our final application, Jesus and the law. So we have, we're the salt of the the earth and we're the uh, light of the world. And now we get this whole thing about Jesus and the law, the law of God. Of course, we just spent all that time in Deuteronomy with the moral law, the 10 commandments, the civil law for government and the religious law that points to Jesus dying on the cross. And Jesus says to his disciples in the context of what He's teaching, "I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. Jesus as the Messiah was never against the Old Testament law, or the, the words of the prophets, which, of course the Sadducees and to some degree the, the uh, excuse me, the Pharisees, and to some degree, the Sadducees believed in. Sadducees believed the law of God was absolute authority, word of God. The Pharisees believed the law and all the prophets. That that's where they were at with their theology and their worldviews. So at any rate, Jesus said, I didn't." They, they tried to play Jesus against the word of God in the Old Testament, which is impossible to do because he came to fulfill the Old Testament. In fact, there in Luke 24, we know this, that he, when he was resurrected, he showed his disciples, the apostles, how he fulfilled the law, the prophets and the Psalms, the three categories of the Old Testament, the poetic books, the historical books and the prophetic books. And he fulfilled those things. And we understand that it all points to Christ. they are all shadows of things to come. Christ is the fullness. So he's saying contextually here, I'm not against the Ten Commandments and the law of God. I'm fulfilling them. See, by the time he went to the cross and rose from the grave, he fulfilled everything that the entire Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi were pointing to, to him. And he is the Messiah, and he fulfilled them perfectly. And then he, he says this very interesting comment, verse 19, whoever breaks one of these Of the least of the commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now that that's always got my attention, but it gets my attention a little bit more at this point in my life, and ours together, collectively as a church family, as we just went through Deuteronomy, right? We just went through Deuteronomy and the law. So when I read this in the Sermon on the Mount, so we have to decide with this what Jesus is teaching here. Is this so limited in context? to his disciples in this one message for a a one-and-a-half-year window before he went to the cross and rose from the grave, or in the greatest sermon of all time, this has a a farther-reaching application than the evangelical church often gives the Ten Commandments. I think that this is a universal, eternal passage of Scripture. I don't think historically it's limited, like, say, the dietary law of the Old Testament. I don't think it's like that. I think what Jesus is talking about, the law of God here, and he says that whoever breaks the least of these commandments and teaches men to do so also is least in the kingdom. Now, we put that here, and then we say, all right, we know in the New Testament that there's a lot of people who said, you get saved by faith in Jesus, but you're not really saved. You have to go back to being a Jew, you have to be circumcised and keep the law. And those, those guys are called Judaizers. And this is what Paul spoke against when he wrote the Galatians and Romans and all that, that. All the law is fulfilled in that we love our neighbor as ourself. And because we're born again, we do that. And I find, I believe, especially in the modern church, the modern American church, even what we call evangelicalism, with being saved by grace, that we sometimes cheapen grace, I believe that, that we go forward at an altar call, we say a prayer to receive Christ, we're born again. And somehow we have this insurance policy for heaven on the day of Christ Jesus, but we don't have a transformation of the Holy Spirit in our life that begins to produce a life that glorifies Christ. Because we know this, a life that glorifies Christ is a life born of the Spirit, living out by the Spirit the good things of God revealed in His Word, including the Ten Commandments. Would God's Spirit ever be contrary? We have to ask ourselves, would God's Spirit in our life of a born-again believer ever be contrary to the Ten Commandments? of course not. That'd be ludicrous. And I'm glad when we raised our kids when they were younger that we had the the music cassette tapes about the Ten Commandments and teaching our kids the Ten Commandments. And when I went to catechism as a young child, I learned the Ten Commandments. And we we used to be a nation with the Ten Commandments. We used to teach the Ten Commandments in our public school system. they they are eternal truths of right and wrong that never change. Now, the Ten Commandments will never save us. We can't keep the Ten Commandments and be saved. We understand that. We all understand that here. We're not going to be good people that keep the Ten Commandments, stand before God and say, Hey, you have to accept me. I'm a really good person. I get the Ten Commandments. No. To be guilty of one part of law is guilty of all. And we know that. So we know that we don't keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, as, Jesus, as Barbie says. Progress, not perfection. Right? We're not perfect, and we don't keep the Ten Commandments, and we're not justified by the Ten Commandments. understand that theologically. But when speaking of the new covenant and being born of the Spirit and having the Spirit within us, God said in the Old Testament that in those days he'll put his Spirit in us, and he'll write his law on our tender hearts as opposed to tablets of stone. So in the new covenant... You could never show in the book of Acts they didn't esteem the word of God. They studied the word of God and the apostles' doctrine is opening up the word of God of the Old Testament, showing Christ in it. And if the Holy Spirit is now in us, which the Bible tells us he is when we give our life to Christ, then the Ten Commandments, specifically contextually that we're talking about here, the law is written on our hearts, not stone tablets. So, it's not written on our hearts to try and justify us or to be our tutor to bring us to Christ, because we've already been brought to Christ by the Holy Spirit, nor to condemn us. But it's written on our hearts to guide us and to obey God's word and to make the right moral decisions, to make the right character decisions, and to know that lying is always lying, truth is truth, adultery is adultery, and murder is murder. Now, when we come to the text next week, we're going to have all these passages where Jesus said, you've heard it said that murder is this and adultery is that and lying is this. And we're going to to get his teaching on the Ten Commandment moral laws. But here in this context, he says that anyone who breaks them and, and teaches men to do so is very bad. Basically, those are all the politicians who, a lot of politicians in America since I was born who've done that. All those politicians who wrote bills and legislation to remove the Ten Commandments from shaping the direction of the future generations of this country and replaced it with Heather as two mommies and now we have what we have. It's their condemnation, but not ours. It's theirs, not ours. Because that's what they've done. It's exactly what they've done. But they're the world, and they act like the world. We're salt, we're light, we're the church. So even if the Ten Commandments are not the moral standards outside these walls, let them be the moral standards, not just in outward actions of our life, but in the secret secret, most inner parts of our hearts. May we teach it to our children and our children's children, not that it's going to save them, but by the Spirit of God is going to guide them and get decisions for their entire life. And then finally he said this, that whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I would prefer to be called great than not in the kingdom of heaven, wouldn't you? So when something's going down at the family dinner table, don't be afraid. Speak up. You're teaching the family or at work. You're teaching people things that are great. And you're showing them true righteousness because we're not quoting the law to justify ourselves. We're quoting the law and living the law because we are justified by faith. It's not Jesus plus the law, but Jesus helping us show the world the ideal man, the ideal woman of a life surrendered to Christ. Because the Ten Commandments are the ideal of moral right and wrong. And the Spirit guides us in shining and reflecting a true righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees and religious leaders. Theirs was outward and self-righteousness, and they're going to justify themselves. That's a righteousness that we have to exceed. Not by supplanting them with a greater outward righteousness, as if we're another religious sect, but by brokenness and receiving Christ and being born again and having positional righteousness through faith, and then by having that by the Holy Spirit, then living out the life of faith in the power of the Spirit. We're not manufacturing fleshly righteousness. We are demonstrating spirit-led righteousness. Because the law is not a stone tablet over our heads by which we seek to justify ourselves, the law is being lived out by the spirit who wrote it as we're walking in the spirit, surrendered to Christ. This is discipleship of Jesus Christ. This is the righteousness that exceeds human religion. Born of faith,